Welcome to the Kiwi Kids Book Chat. I'm Julie Huggins. And I'm Penny Walsh, and we are two teacher librarians who just love talking about books, specifically Kiwi books by Kiwi authors. Now, we don't pretend to know all there is to know. Or even half there is to know. But we do love to talk, to chat, to ponder, to waffle, whatever you want to call it. So sit back or walk or drive or lie down or however you listen to podcasts and relax and enjoy the waffle. Hello and welcome to episode 5 of the Kiwi Kids Book Chat. This week we're going to be delving deep into Māori myths and legends. And first of all, what I'd like to do is just do a quick shout out to some lovely people who've taken the time to get in touch with us after listening to our first couple of podcast episodes and they've taken up their time to say well done. So to these people, thank you and a big shout out. We've got a couple of our staff members here at, at school. So we've got Rochelle and Kerry, who have both been and seen us and said thank you very much and that we enjoyed listening to it. In fact, even Rochelle subjected her husband to us, apparently, so that's quite funny. And I've also had some, some lovely messages from various librarians around the country. So thank you to Kay in Cambridge, Sarah in Plymouth, Colleen in Marlborough, and Jane, who I'm not quite sure where she was from. I couldn't see from her email, but thank you to Jane as well for getting in touch. So, Māori Myths and Legends... First thing, this is something that confuses me often. What's the difference between a myth, myth and a legend? Julie? Okay, let's pretend like I know what I'm talking about. So the way it's traditionally been sort of understood is that a myth is a traditional or ancient story that was often used to explain some kind of natural phenomenon and it often involved sort of fantastic or fantastical creatures or gods. We see that a lot in the myths and legends of other countries, not just in New Zealand. Whereas a legend is a story that's got a basis in truth. But over time, it's been altered, embellished, somewhat fictionalised. A really good example of that would be the legend of Robin Hood in Celtic folklore. So there was a real person who did live in the area of Sherwood, but obviously that tale has been somewhat fictionalised. So that is generally how we define a myth and a legend. That's excellent, and, and guaranteed that in five minutes' time I will have forgotten that again and need to Google it again, but you know, that some of you will remember that. Okay, so we are going to be, well, well actually, first of all, before we, before we start, what we realised when we were looking at this is this is actually a big area in Māori mythology and we, what we've decided to do is actually split, split this over two episodes because there is just so much stuff out there. So this first episode is actually going to be looking back into the deep depths of time to this, the start of Māori mythology retelling for our children and then next week we will be looking at some of the more up-to-date modern stuff that's coming out but what actually is pretty obvious and unlike what we were talking about in I think last week's episode about the sports people that is very much you know they they date quickly Māori mythology doesn't and so actually some of the books that we have dug out are still relevant today and the king of Māori mythology back in the the 70s maybe 80s is Ron Bacon 
and so we've dug out a couple of his books and I've, I have them sitting here and they smell like old books I can tell you you can't smell obviously but these books smell old but they are still relevant and I'm looking at them and they have beautiful illustrations and immediately they become this becomes appealing to children you can imagine children of the 70s and 80s seeing these books and really enjoying them because of, because of the illustrations I, you know I was brought up in the 70s and 80s in the UK but picture books were not a big thing back then it's not like we have today and so a book you know books like Ron Bacon's are, are would have been amazing also amazing as I scrolled through them or scrolled they're not their books I don't scroll I flick was the fact that a number of these books at the beginning have some hints on on Maori pronunciation and many of the of the books, the pages also have Māori numbering, and that was probably quite ahead of its time, do you think, Excellent. at the time? Um, so that, that was pretty cool. I, I enjoyed finding that out. I have a quirky story about the Ron Bacon book. So when I first started in the library uh, 10 years ago, we had a number of the little paperback Ron Bacons, quite a lot of them actually, and we had a young lady who that is literally all she would read. She refused to read anything else. She, we couldn't get her to read anything else. Ron Bacon was it for her for, I don't know, I remember meeting her in year two and I don't think we got her off Ron Bacon till probably year seven. So there, there was definitely appeal, definitely an appeal for her, which I think is kind of gorgeous. But Ron Bacon, he probably handed the baton over in terms of writing about Maori mythology to the amazing Peter Gossage. So Julie, I'm going to let you, hand over to you and let you talk about Peter Gossage. So where Ron Bacon was publishing sort of late 70s, early 80s, Peter Gossage started publishing sort of early to mid 80s. And he is probably the author illustrator person that we kind of would remember if you're of my generation growing up in New Zealand. Those illustrations were just stunning. They were so bold, they were so colourful, they were so dynamic and dramatic. And they were quite powerful simply for the illustration. And what I remember from growing up was how revolutionary it was to have New Zealand tales being shared in book form. Because as we talked about in our, in our earlier episodes, there wasn't a lot of New Zealand, obviously New Zealand material in my primary school years. I think the fact that his books have been rejacketed and redone and republished is testament to the strength of that work. And I think it is absolutely hysterical that in trying to prepare for this episode, we went to our Myths and Legends section in the library and there was not a single Peter Gossage in the library. Not one. The entire Myths and Legends section had been pillaged by our Year 5 teachers who, <laughs> who use his books every single year. So I think that his work is something that, while still relatively old, is something that has stood the test of time and is still being used in New Zealand classrooms today. And to be fair, it may feel like in this episode that we are perhaps teaching you to suck eggs because there are, you know, most people will be aware of these authors but they are so worth revisiting and reusing. And like you say, Julie, our year fives have pillaged, have pillaged that section, and we couldn't find a single one. And I think it's really important at this point to actually introduce a quote by Wati Ihimaira, which says, if the children of the present are not involved in the telling of the stories of the past, New Zealand will have an incomplete future. 
all of these tales are part of our history and our heritage as Aotearoa and I think it's really important that whatever books we are using, whatever material we are using, that we are putting them in front of children and giving them the option to explore this part of our heritage. And that's one of the things, isn't it, about mythology is that it's all about trying to make sense of our world and that's still relevant today. So even though, you know, we, we live in a, an age of phones and electronics and that sort of thing, these, these stories are still relevant which our children need. I, and just harking back to our year fives, they, they do, um, each year they do a gorgeous production as well. They, they use the inspiration of the, the Māori myths and legends and they create a production which they then perform to our entire school. And it is so important. It's so important for our kids to see this. So big shout out to our year five teachers as well for that. So the baton has probably now also been handed on from... Peter Gossage and another author. We've got a couple of authors who've picked it up, but we've, next we're going to look at Gavin Bishop. Gavin is a real taonga, a real treasure, isn't it? We, are, we were lucky enough to have him come and visit us last year for our book week, and he's an absolute legend. And he started publishing and reinterpreting Māori myths, and there's a theme with all of these books, and that the illustrations are always absolutely stunning. Gavin Bishop's illustrations are divine. They're bold, they're vivid, they're, you know, the movement in them are is just gorgeous and so that that in itself is appealing and then he he writes in such a beautiful lyrical way that you know make it appealing to for a read aloud many children may not pick up the mythology books but you know teachers can and teachers can read them to their students so Gavin Bishop is another one and we'll talk more about Gavin Bishop in our second little installment about mythology because he has not stopped has he he hasn't. No, just what are the two books that you're holding in your hands? They're two bind-ups, aren't they? Yes, I've got Taming the Sun, which is for Māori myths, and I've got Riding the Waves, which is also for other Māori myths. Yeah. And I, I think that's quite neat that teachers can pick up a book which has actually got three or four different options in it, and then they can choose, pick and choose the ones that best suit their class at the time, rather than having to track down individual books each time. Yes, so Gavin Bishop, another another great resource in that neck of the woods. Now you've got a couple of very interesting looking books over there, Julie. So this one is actually one that we had put into our lit quiz section. It is rather old, it is rather battered, but we saw the value in it. So rather than just weed it out of the library, although it's probably not up to being on the main library shelves, there is something quite special about it. And it's actually called The Land of the Long White Cloud, Māori Myths, Tales and Legends. And when I first saw this book, I had a little giggle because it's actually written by Dame Kiri Takanoa. That in itself is interesting. And then I thought, oh, it's illustrated by Michael Foreman. And I don't associate Michael Foreman with Dame Kiri Takanoa. Michael Morpurgo, yes. So I started reading a little bit about this. Now, for those, the children probably wouldn't even know who Dame Kiri Takanoa was, but we knew back in the 80s and she was an incredible opera singer, but she was actually based in the UK. But she was born to a Māori father and a Pākehā mother. And I think I've got that the right way around. And she came home in the mid-80s for a family event. And there was a huge gathering of the Takanoa family around the Tikwiti area. And Michael happened to be in New Zealand at the time. And he was invited to sort of join in. The, the event and the celebrations and the festivities. And I'm actually going to read a direct quote from the prologue, the preface, sorry, of this book. 
and it says by, by a stroke of luck the illustrator Michael Foreman was in New Zealand at the time and was with us for part of the festivities. He met my family, enjoyed Māori hospitality and in this way had a rather special introduction to the Māori culture and the Māori love of storytelling. I was thrilled that he was there and was therefore able to translate something of the atmosphere of that occasion through his unique illustrations. And as I flick through this book, the stories are beautifully told, but for me, I think the most powerful thing are some of the illustrations. When you see these, they are absolutely stunning. And that's very much a theme, as you've already said, of the, these books. But you know, even though it's an older text, I think that you could easily pull these out and even just maybe do some work around the illustrations. Maybe ask the students what, what they already know. Can they link it with their prior knowledge of a, a Māori myth or a legend? Can they work out who the characters in the illustrations might be even before you actually get to the text? I think that would be an amazing way to sort of see what the students already know. So that was one of them. And the other book that I have is an absolute classic. And it's Myths and Legends of Aotearoa, retold by Annie Rei Tiakiaki. And it has been, it, well, through the 90s, I would say, and certainly into the early part of this century, almost the Myths and Legends Bible. Absolutely, and it's been republished. Re I think we've discovered 2017. We have a, a, a republished version in the library as well as Julie's holding our old version. The, the more up-to-date version has also been pilfered by the S5s. But again, looking down the list, we've, we, we, many of us know the story of Maui, okay? But do we know necessarily the stories of Uenuku and the Mist Maiden, Rona and the Moon, the legend of Hinimo and Tutanakai? So there's some ones here that are possibly not quite so well known, and I think that the ones that have been chosen here are a really good mix of the really well known and the slightly less well known, and I mean, the Lone fair, Fairy of Perongia. Most of us don't know that story. Never heard of it. <laughs> no, we live in Hamilton, and Perongia is not that far away, <laughs> um, but we don't know it, so I think that's a really quite a, a neat way to actually start taking our students beyond the, the stories of Maui, Maui yeah. yeah. Um, so two beautiful books that have stood the test of time. Absolutely, and I think that that's the whole thing about this, isn't it? These, are, these stand the test of time because of their, the nature of their content, but also the fact that they are so beautifully written, beautifully illustrated, beautifully produced. You know, even looking at these older books, they, you know, they yes, they look a bit dated, but you can see the appeal still. So um, what, a, what an amazing start, what a powerful start mm -hmm. to our look into to the, the myths and legends of our great nation. And the whole idea of Aotearoa's Land of the Long White Cloud, there are so many stories. And often these have been written down, but so often the, the myths and legends of not just Māori culture, but lots of cultures around the world are actually an oral retelling. And if you've ever played Chinese Whispers, you know that things sort of change slightly over time. But it's capturing the essence of the story and putting it on paper so that it's now all available to, to everybody in New Zealand. And on that note, just the book I was talking about last, about the Myths and Legends of Aotearoa, the illustrations were actually done by young New Zealanders. So Annie told, retold the stories and then she actually put it out 
so that there is a group of young New Zealanders of many different cultures and ethnicities aged between the ages of 15 and 18 who did the illustrations. And the fact that you've got young Taiwanese New Zealanders illustrating a Māori myth or legend is kind of cool. Very cool. It's sharing New Zealand's past with New Zealand's present. I love it. So that's probably it for this week, but we are very much looking forward to having a chat about some of the more um, recent publications. You know, the, the baton has been handed on to, or, or actually to be fair, Gavin Bishop probably still has part of the, <laughs> the, part of the baton, but also Donovan Bixley will have a look at um, his work and then also some of the, the fiction that is out there that is featuring some Māori mythology, which is awesome. So Julie, what's, what are your plans after pressing stop on the record button? What are your plans for today? Well, you know, there's all the other things that we do, like teaching in the library and corralling the masses at lunchtime and all of those <laughs> sorts of things. But I have got a couple of really good books that I am reading at the moment, and I have been thinking about some ways that they could be used in classroom and all those sorts of things, so I'm going to be working a little bit on that. What about you, Mrs. Walsh? Well, the other day... Last week I mentioned that I was going to ascend the Hakari Martyrs, mm -hmm. which I did, and um, my legs are still in recovery, as promised. It's like I said last time, it's a ridiculous, ridiculous walk, and I don't even know why people contemplate it, but I they walk. do. I walk, I walk, but I walk on level ground. I mostly walk on level ground, and every now and again I have a... a a, I don't know, a brain fart or something. And I go, right, now I'm going up the hucks. In fact, it was probably, I think it was tw the end of 2020, I was doing it once a week. Not sure what came over me because my, my previous kind of um, rate of doing it was once every two years because that's when the pain had worn off. But that was when you were training to do the walks at Tihoi. I was. I was training to do the walks at a parent's tramp. My son went to a, goes to a school where they go, they disappear off for six months um, to this place in the Wapwaps to the on the western bays of Lake Taupo, and the the boys, year ten boys. So I mean, who on earth decided it would be a good idea to put a group of year ten boys in all in one place for basically five months? But good on them for doing it because off my son went to that, and one of the the fun features for the parents was to do a parent tramp. And um, I felt that I needed to train for that. So I, off I toodled up the hucks once a week. Yeah, but I hadn't been up for probably a year. So my legs hurt. Anyway, enough of that. That's, that's by the by. So next week we'll carry on having a, a bit of a chat about Māori myths and legends. And we look forward to it. So see you later. Ka kite anō.